you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Amos, the book of Amos, and we'll be in chapter number five tonight, the book of Amos, chapter number five. You remember last week, as we finished up in chapter number four, uh, Amos made this kind of foreboding statement. He said, prepare to meet your God. I don't know if there's a more uh, scarier thought than that, even for a believer, the thought of meeting your maker, and, and especially if you're living in sin. And so um, he makes that statement, and then uh, he goes back to the subject of judgment, beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 5, and he says, Hear this word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. Now, what was a lamentation? A lamentation was like a funeral dirge. It was a song about death. And what kind, of, what kind of death was coming? It was the death of a nation. It was the death of the northern kingdom. And, and they were about to be judged. And so he says, sing a lamentation because your time is up. Prepare to meet your maker. Then in verse number two, he says, the virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. And so he calls her a virgin. He calls Israel a virgin. And, and she was intended to be uh, a virgin given unto one husband, and that was to the Lord. But, but she took on other lovers, and so she uh, engaged in, in harlotry and worshipped other idols. And so God was about to destroy her and and she was to rise no more, and, and she lies forsaken because there's no one to raise her up. I mean, Israel thought in her day that there were, she had uh, some of those surrounding countries that would come to her aid if another country attacked, but when Assyria attacked uh, in, in the 8th century B.C., nobody came to her aid. She had one, uh, I don't want to say, she had the Lord who would have come to her aid, but uh, she wasn't seeking the Lord, and so there was no one there to raise her up. You know, I look at Israel today, and, and uh, they're in danger of the same situation. They're a secular nation for the most part. They've turned their back on God. Uh, and, and who in the world is going to help them when they're in trouble other than the Lord? The United States of America? Well, maybe now with the president that we have, but I can tell you right now, uh, there, that's a that's a, uh, a a thin piece of thread that they're hanging on to if they think the United States is going to come to their aid in a war. So, so uh, and they've got a strong military, and I'm sure they're trusting to some degree in their military. But I'll tell you what, they better be trusting in the Lord. You look at that map, and you see all the nations that surround Israel, and all those nations that want to destroy her, and uh, they're they're in trouble. They're in deep trouble. See Iran firing all these test missiles that can hit Israel, and they were talking about how this missile can hit Tel Aviv. They're in trouble. And so they need to turn to the Lord. Are they going to turn to the Lord? No, they're not going to turn to the Lord. We read the book of Daniel, and we read, uh, we, we've read other prophecies, and uh, Israel's going to fall. They're going to fall, and, and uh, they're going to go through the great tribulation. Then the Spirit of God will be poured out, and they will turn to the Lord. Then in verse number three, he says, For thus says the Lord God, The city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left, 
The city that goes by 100 shall have 10 left. What's he saying? He's saying 9 out of 10 people are going to die. And, and the rest are going to go into captivity. And there might be a remnant left in the land, but it'll be very, very small because of this coming judgment. Then in verse number 4, he says, For the Lord says to the house of Israel. Now, the Lord is always throwing out an olive branch. He's always throwing out a way to avert a coming disaster. He's always going to do that. He'll always give a nation a chance. He'll always give an individual a chance. And the formula is real simple. Listen to what he says. I mean, his plan's real simple. He says, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, see me and live. That's the secret. That's the secret to any distressful situation or any coming judgment. Seek the Lord and you will live. Uh, any nation that repents and turns to the Lord, they're gonna, they're, God is going to relent from that judgment. Now, God knew that they weren't going to repent. Uh, he keeps, he's, in the book of Amos, he gives them this hope. In the book of Hosea, we saw that the, the judgment had already been sealed. The judgment was going to take place. But here they still had a chance if they would seek the Lord and they would repent. But that's true for individuals, too. I mean, I think he's, he's not only speaking to the nation because he knew the nation was not going to repent, but he was speaking to the individuals, uh, the individual citizens of the nation of Israel, and he was saying to them, if you seek me during this judgment, if you seek me before this judgment, if you enter into a relationship with me, a strong relationship with me, then you will live. Remember what Peter said when in our study in 2 Peter. He said, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of trials and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So even though he might send that judgment, he knows how to protect his own. In Psalms 37, it says, in the day of the famine, the, the righteous will be satisfied. In other words, even if God sends a famine upon a land, he knows how to take care of his own. And, and who are his own? Those who seek him. Those who seek God on his terms. What are his terms? You seek God uh, in repentance. You repent from your sin. And you recognize the need for a sacrifice for your sins. And those are his terms. And if you seek him on those terms, what's the Bible say? You seek me with all your heart, you will find me, and you will live. And I don't care what kind of judgment's coming upon the earth, you're going to make it through that judgment. But most of the nation uh, was involved in an aberrant religion and... Uh, God's saying, hey, you got to look past that religion. That religion is not going to save you. You're, you're involved in a false religion. Look at verse number 5. He says, but if you want to seek me, do not seek me in Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. Beersheba in the southern kingdom. Even in the southern kingdom, they, they were uh, multiplying their sin by not worshiping God in a prescribed manner. And so he says, don't seek me in these places of worship. Bethel was where the golden calves were housed. Gilgal was where, if you remember, when the Israelites entered into the promised land, they camped at Gilgal, and they set up a tabernacle there, and, and there was a tabernacle of worship that remained there to this day or to the day when Amos was speaking. And he says, hey, don't, don't seek me there. You're not going to find me there because of all the idolatry that takes place within those 
those temples. Your religion is a false religion. Don't even seek me down in Judah. Beersheba was the southernmost part of Israel, or it's still the southernmost part of Israel. And so he says, don't even go down to Judah to seek me. You're not going to find me. He says, but do not seek me in Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Their, their religion is about to be, be destroyed. And then he says again in verse number seven, I mean verse number six, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out fire in the house of Joseph. Now, why does he say the house of Joseph? Who were Joseph's two sons? Ephraim and Manasseh. What was the biggest tribe in the northern kingdom? Ephraim. And really, you know, Ephraim is used synonymously with the northern kingdom. And so, uh, Samaria, Ephraim. So, so uh, he says, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph in Ephraim, in the northern kingdom, and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. So, put away your idols and your false gods and seek the Lord and you will live. Then verse number seven, you who turn justice to wormwood. What's the word in Hebrew? What's the word wormwood mean? You see it over in the Greek too. What's it mean? It means bitterness. It's, it's a, bitter, a bitter plant. And when you think of justice, you shouldn't think of something bitter. You should think of something sweet. Isn't it sweet to get justice in a righteous court? I mean, that, that's that's a, that's a sweet thing. That's not a bitter thing. But you have turned Israel, he's saying to Israel, you have turned justice to wormwood, and you lay righteousness to rest on the earth. In other words, there's, there, righteousness can't be found. You put righteousness in the grave, and evil has risen up in its place. And therefore you call, as Isaiah says, you call good evil and evil good. But repent and seek the Lord, and you will live. And who is the Lord? Look at what he says in verse number 8. He made the uh, Pleiades and, the, and Orion. He turns the shadow of death. He made the constellations. He turns the shadow of death into mourning. He's the God of life. Who do you find resurrected life in? You find it in the Lord and nowhere else. He's the one who can turn the shadow of death into mourning, but he also can turn the day as dark as night. And makes the day dark as night. In other words, he can just be. Don't be afraid of him who who can uh, just destroy the body, but be afraid of him who can destroy the body and soul in hell. And so he can take the light of our lives and he can destroy our our souls in hell. And he makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. In other words, he's the one who makes the rain. The Lord is his name. Jehovah is his name. I am who I am. That's what Jehovah means. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so he says, seek him by, on his terms, and you will live. He, verse number nine, he reigns ruin upon the strong so that the fury comes down upon the fortress. In other words, upon the military. That uh, He's saying that, that God is angry with Israel and uh, that there's no human army, no human fort that's going to be able to stand against his fury. Then look at verse number 10. They hate the one who rebukes at the gate. And why is God so angry at Israel? Because they hate the one 
who goes to the gate, and the gate in Israel was the, the, where the courts were, it's where justice, where you went to find justice. And when somebody came to the court to say, hey, this thing isn't right, that this is unjust, then they were rebuked. And they abhorred those who speak uprightly. They hate reason. They hate those that advocate for justice. And why do they do that? Because remember what John said in our text last week? The whole world lies in the sway of the wicked one. And at this point, Israel was in the arms of the wicked one. And so they they hated good. They hated justice. Therefore, verse number 11, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of honed stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You're not going to get to live in those because judgment is coming and they're going to be destroyed. And those vineyards that you're planted, you're not going to be able to drink the wine from them. Why? Because they had tread down the poor and they had even taken taxes on the bread. That sound familiar? I mean, we live in a state, I I, I think I saw the other day where we have the second highest taxes in the United States and our sales taxes are like the worst in the United States. I mean, 11, 11% now in some parishes, 11%. And if you go buy a loaf of bread, you pay that 11%, that 11% on that uh, loaf of bread. And, and all along, politicians and, the rich, and other rich people are getting richer at the expense of the poor. And so God says, hey, I don't like that. So judgment's coming. And look down at verse number 12. He says, for I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Again, the gates in that culture were the courts. They went to the gates to get justice. And the poor couldn't get justice because they had set up the system to where only the rich could use the judicial system for their own good. The poor couldn't afford it. Does that sound familiar? That's pretty much the way it is today. If you're a poor person, you, you, good luck trying to, trying to fight your way through the court system. Now, you might make it to an appeal, but that'll be about it. You might make it through the first stage, but if it goes to appeals, you can't go any further. And, and those, all of the rich corporations and the rich people in this world, they know that. And so they got these teams of lawyers, and you better have a lot of money if you want to fight them. And so, so it's really tough for a per, poor person to find justice in the court system, and that was the way it was in that day. And, and, and that angered God. God was mad about that. So he was going to judge the nation. That was one of the main reasons he was going to judge the nation. Then in verse number 13, he says, Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Really, he's saying the wise, those who could see the direction that Israel was heading, that they were heading down this path of wickedness, those who could see that kept silent because the days were evil. And they knew that if they took any kind of stand, they wouldn't get any relief from the court system because the court system was permeated with wicked and evil people. Man, I don't see much difference 
between that and the situation today that we're in in the United States. You take a stand for what's right in the United States today uh, outside of these doors, and you're asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble, and if you get in trouble, good luck trying to fight it in the courts. I mean, I, I know you've heard about that little company that made cakes in Oregon called Sweet Cakes by Melissa, a Christian couple. They owned the, the bakery, and they refused to make a cake for a lesbian couple. And they were told to make the cake or else go out of business, uh, that their license would be revoked. But not only that, the judge uh, ordered them to pay $135,000 in damages to the lesbian couple because their feelings were hurt. And then on top of that, the next judge that took the case said, placed a ban order on them, uh, a gag order, uh, forbidding them to speak about their case publicly or else they would be in contempt of court. And I mean, they fought that thing all the way through, and I don't know where they're at with it right now. I, I think they're pretty much toast in the state of Oregon. And they've lost a lot of money, and a lot of people sent money over there to help them. But that's the situation we live in the country today. Like I say, you outside these doors, and you take a stand for what's right. You name the name of Jesus, and, and what's the Bible say? You will be persecuted. You name the name of Jesus. You do what's right. And you say, when you call wrong, wrong, then you will be persecuted. So what have a lot of people done? They've kept silent. They've just backed off and kind of withdrawn from society because it is an evil time. The prudent, the prudent keeps silent. He's talking about the wise. The wise are wise enough to know you're not going to, in this system we're in, you're not going to beat the wickedness that's, that's taking place because it's an evil time. We live in an evil time. But there's still hope. There's still hope for those who seek the Lord. Look at verse 14. Seek good and not evil that you may live. So the Lord of hosts will be with you. And that's a good guy to have with you. A really good guy to have with you. You know what the Lord of hosts means? Jehovah Sabio. We talked about that last week. What's it mean? And Amos uses it over and over. I think it's his favorite name for the Lord. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of the host of the constellations. Just like he told, her, told us in an earlier verse. He's the host of the, in verse number eight, he's the host of the constellations. He, he's the one who controls the universe, the galaxies. He's the one who created those galaxies uh, by his word. He's the Lord of hosts. And, and uh, he's the Lord of the host of all the nations. He's still in control over the nations of this world. Even though it seems like things are uh, spinning out of control, in God's eyes they're not. Everything is going exactly the way he wants, it, wants things to go, exactly how he wants them to go, and exactly when he wants them to go. He's in control. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of hosts. He's over all the nations. He's over all the armies of this world. He's the one who moves armies. He's the one who's going to take this wicked Assyrian army and bring them down upon Israel. And there's nothing they can do about it. No matter how mighty of an army they have, 
when God brings that army down, they're, they're toast. They're, they're going to they're gonna be destroyed. And so he says, seek good and not evil, that you may live. If you seek good, you're seeking the Lord. So the Lord of hosts will be with you. Now, if the Lord of hosts is with you, he's, talking, he's speaking here from a national standpoint. He's speaking here from an individual standpoint. The individual Israelites who saw all of this going on and then saw the Lord, God was going to protect them through this judgment that was coming upon their land. If the nation had, had repented and, and uh, sought the Lord of hosts, he would have protected them, and Assyria couldn't have done anything to them. If the United States doesn't very quickly turn to the Lord of hosts, we've got some enemies that are preparing to, to destroy us. But as an individual, I'm going to seek the Lord that I might live. And I, got, I know if I seek the Lord, the Lord of hosts is going to be with me. And that means I'm going to, if I, if I seek the Lord and I seek his good, I'm going to hate evil. Look at the next part of verse number 15. I'm going to hate evil and I'm going to love good. I mean, you know, I think we can kind of determine if that's the condition of our soul by the movies that we watch. I mean, if you can watch some evil movie and, and enjoy that movie, then i got to question whether or not the Lord is your God. I mean, because one of the things when we seek good, we're seeking God, we're going to hate the things that God hates. If the Spirit of God is in us, we're going to hate the things that God hates. And, and so, you know, that's why it's so hard to find a good movie today. You can find some movies where there's some, some parts of it that you really like, and you seek good in, and there's some parts that you really don't like because they're evil, but, 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 but we're to hate evil. We're to hate evil. We're to hate, to hate the things we see, the injustices we see in this world. We're to hate the, the lies that are going out into this world. We're to hate the wickedness of this world. I mean, I heard uh, everybody praising Lady Gaga for, for uh, her show at the halftime of the Super Bowl. I didn't watch it. I cut it off when the thing came on, but I did read today that she was bragging about, uh, singing a song about, I'm a lesbian, I'm a, a bisexual, I'm a homosexual, you know, and, 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 and then everybody was saying, oh, that's great, isn't that great? Well I, well, I hate that kind of stuff. I don't hate homosexuals, but I hate evil. I hate what God hates. God said it's an abomination to him. That means he hates it. God hates a lot of things that, that, that if you have the Spirit of God in you, you're going to hate, and you're going to love good. And then he says, establish justice in the gate. In other words, change the court system to where the poor and the righteous do have a shot. Establish justice in the gate. Now, as a born-again believer, in a, as a minority in a country that's becoming more and more wicked, what can we do to establish justice in the gate? In our courtrooms and in our government, what can we do? What did we do during this last election? We pray. We get on our knees and pray. There's something, I mean, if there's nothing else we can do, we don't withdraw and just say, well, we'll just wait for the day of the Lord. No, we, we want to establish justice in our nation. We want to establish justice in the gate. And it may be that the Lord of hosts, who has all the power in the world to do whatever he wants, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. He'll be gracious to, to the northern kingdom. He'll be gracious to the United States of America. He'll be gracious to the individuals within the United States of America, within the northern kingdom. 
And then he says in verse 16, Therefore the Lord of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all the streets. The Lord knew that they weren't going to turn to him. He offers a way out. He is pleading for them to repent, but he knew they weren't going to repent. So he says, therefore, the Lord God of hosts, who could use those armies of his, his army of angels to protect the nation of Israel, he could use his power to protect the nation of Israel, he says, there shall be wailing on all the streets. In other words, the armies are going to come down upon Israel. God's going to use pagan armies to come down upon Israel. And there will be wailing in the streets, and, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning and the skillful lamenters to wailing. In all the vineyards there shall be wailing. For, listen to this, I will pass through you like a tornado. Basically, I'm like a whirlwind. I'm going to pass through the nation, and there's not going to be anything left when I come through. That's pretty scary. Pretty scary. He says, woe to you who does, and then he says, you know, Amos is sitting here and he's preaching all of this. There's probably a group of people there that are just like there are today who are thinking, you know what? I want to see judgment on the land. I want to see the day of the Lord when he comes down upon Israel and destroys all the wicked. And these are the same people who are silent in that time because it's an evil time. And so they've withdrawn themselves and they study their prophecies and they, they say to themselves, man, get them, Lord, get them. And Amos issues them a warning. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? Let me tell you something. If all you do is sit around studying prophecies and hoping God judges the wicked, you might very well be one of the wicked and not know it. So he says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It, is, it will be darkness and not light. It's not, a, it's not a good day. And if you're apathetic and just sitting there waiting on judgment, then then, uh, you're just as guilty of neglecting your relationship with the Lord as the rest of these people are. And and so what good is the day to you? None. It will be a day of darkness, he says here, and not light. You know, that's interesting because when we were in 2 Peter, remember Peter told us to desire the day of the Lord, to long for the day of the Lord. But longing for the day of the Lord doesn't mean that we withdraw from society and just sit around and figure out when he's coming. That's not what longing for the day of the Lord is. Longing for the day of the Lord should do what for believers? It should move us to action. I mean, yeah, we long for Jesus Christ to come back, and we know that before he comes back, there's going to be a great tribulation. But... And and so we long for the day of the Lord. But in longing for the day of the Lord, we want to see as many people saved as possibly can be saved. I always say, you know, if Jesus had come in 1988, when everybody was saying he was going to come, I would would be in hell right now. And and maybe some of you too. So, So we want the Lord to delay us coming until he saves all of his elect. And that should move us to action. 
so we can help pluck a few people out of the fire before judgment comes. Because uh, uh, it's not going to be a pretty sight. The day of the Lord is not a beautiful day. It's a day of darkness, at least the beginning of the day of the Lord. And so what should we be doing? We should be praying for revival. We should be praying that God changes the hearts of the wicked. And uh, we should be out doing whatever we can do to, to win the loss to Jesus Christ, wherever God has placed us. Look how bad it is. Look at verse number 14. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, and when he escaped the lion, a bear met him. I mean, he running from the lion, and he said, wow, I escaped the lion, and then there comes a bear. That's not good, a big grizzly. And, when he, and he runs from the bear, and he, he runs into his house, and he escapes the bear, and he said, man, I got it made, and he leans up against the wall. He went into his house, he leaned his head on the wall, and his hand broke through, and there was a serpent in his wall that, that, uh, that bit him and, and killed him. And what God is saying, he's painting a picture there that no matter where you run or where you go, you're not going to be able to hide from this judgment. There's no escaping this judgment. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it at all? I mean, read the book of Revelation. We're going to be heading there pretty soon. I mean, I know some people say, man, I can't wait till we get in Revelation. Well, you might enjoy the first three or four chapters, but it gets pretty dark and dreary there. And you read about some really terrible things that are coming upon the earth. It's certainly not a day of light. It's a, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of terrible judgment. And, uh, and, and it's coming soon upon this world. Look at verse 21. He says, I hate. Now, here the Lord turns upon all the religious people in Israel. And I don't know that he wouldn't say something very similar today. He says, I hate. I despise your feast days. I despise it when you set aside a week and you celebrate the feast and you supposedly seek me when you're not really seeking me, and I despise it. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. I mean, hey, you go to church every Saturday, but I despise it. I don't savor what you do in your churches because the rest of the week you're living wickedly. And so I despise it, the Lord says. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. You can fill the box up all you want, and and, uh, I don't care. I don't want it. Y'all fill it up anyway. I'm joking. I will not accept them. You know, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, cheerful heart. And the Lord loves the righteous, those who've been made righteous by Jesus Christ, those who live righteously for Jesus Christ. And people who really aren't saved and really aren't born again and really are living wickedly, from uh, Monday to Sunday, you know, he, he, he despises their worship. He despises their church services. Or will I regard your fat and peace offerings? Take away from me the noise of your songs. In other words, don't sing 
worship songs to me when you really don't worship me. That's hypocrisy. And instead of your religion, hey, get your lives right. Look at verse 24. Let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. I mean, that's what I, that's what I want more than your religious activities. The religious activities are fine if, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, giving out justice. If you're perpetuating justice and, and righteousness, you're living righteously before God. Hey, man, that religion's great. But if you're living wickedly, then God says, hey, I don't want your religion. Then he says, asks a rhetorical question in 25, did you offer me sacrifices and offers in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? And the answer to that is, yeah, they did. They did. But they never gave the sacrifice that God wanted. And that was the sacrifice of obedience. That was a sacrifice of a heart attuned to him. You never really had a heart for me, the Lord says. For 40 years in the wilderness and now, hey, uh, all these years later, all these centuries later, you still... Don't have a heart for me, for godliness. Even in the wilderness, in those 40 years, you carried your little gods around. You carried Molech. The New King James says you also carried Sikath, but Molech, your god. You carried Molech around, your little god, and, your, and, and Chion, which is another pagan god, as your idols. The st- he was the star of your gods which you made for yourselves. These are gods you made. Therefore, and you're continuing to do that to this day. You know, they never really got right with the Lord. There was never a time. There was a few high moments when you read uh, the Pentateuch, uh, the Torah, rather. There, there, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a few high moments there, but, but for the most part, you read through the Torah, and then you read through uh, the... 1 Kings and 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, all the way until they were destroyed, they never really truly worshipped the Lord. Therefore, he says, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. In other words, I've got the power to do it. You're going into captivity. You know, I think there's a lesson for us here today, too. Now, whether or not God's going to judge the nation of the United States in the next few decades, I don't know. I believe if we continue on the route that we're heading, we're heading for judgment at some point or some major catastrophe that will wake this nation up. And that, that's what you, you know, you hope that it doesn't come to that, but you hope that if, Rather than God giving up this nation, you would rather have some catastrophe that would, that would some war or something that would turn this nation back to Him. But, but, but I, I don't know if we're not past that. And there's this real tendency for the prudent, for the wise, to just say, "Hey, you know, the time is evil, and so I'm going to keep silent. I'm not going to do anything." 
and I'm just going to wait upon the day of the Lord. But that's wrong. Woe to those who desire the day of the Lord. I mean, there's a paradox there. We long for the day of the Lord, but not so we can see wicked people destroyed, but so that we can see the Lord coming back. That's why we desire it. And so it should move us, if we really truly do long for Christ to return, it should move us to action, to doing something. At the very least, to pray, to, to, to be praying for our nation, to be praying for this world. Because God didn't leave us here. He didn't give us a ministry of condemnation. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he gave, he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And he's put us in this world for a purpose, not to withdraw and wait on the day of the Lord, but to be active, to be active in our prayers, to be active in our workplace, to be active wherever God has placed us, to be active in our ministries until he comes and... and uh, establishes justice forever on this earth. Now, that's a great day, and I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, I don't give up, and I don't withdraw. I keep praying. And we have seen some positive answers to our prayers uh, in the last few months, and hopefully we'll see some changes in this nation. But without a change in heart, and that's only going to come through revival, Without that change, we're going to revert right back to where we were. This might last four years, eight years or something, but we're not long to going back. And when it goes back further left, it's going to be worse than it ever was. So we got to be about our business that God's called us to be about. And that's to be say, help to being used by him to help him save souls and to be praying that he establishes justice in the United States of America. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the lessons here in, in uh, the book of Amos and uh, these dark times that Israel were, were, the nation of Israel was about to experience. Lord, we, we see similar uh, parallels to the dark times we have here in the United States of America. And Lord, we do, we do pray as a church for revival in, in the city of Lafayette, for revival in our nation. Lord, because only through the change of hearts can... Can, a justice, can justice be established in this land? And that's what we want, Lord. We want, uh, we want to, to things to be right and good, and we want people to seek you, Lord. And so we just ask for your, you to pour out your spirit in a special way uh, upon our nation, upon us, Lord, so that we can be your witnesses in this lost and dying world. We just thank you for your goodness, and we just pray in Christ's name. Amen.